0: My loves, I don't know if you're like me or many of my friends or a lot of people that I know, but listen, do you have a cabinet in your kitchen that's packed (laughs) with supplements and all these amazing things? They're all there to support your overall health, to boost your gut, to boost your vitality, but you ended up being like too overwhelmed to even like look at it and create a routine with them that you're like just ended up skipping taking your supplements. I've been there too, honey. And this is why I want to take a moment to share an incredible discovery with you, my darling. It's called AG1 and let me tell you, it's been a game changer for me. And how I noticed that it was a big game changer for me was when me and my dad were, do- were- we were doing that grief walk from Uh, friends through spain and i gotta tell you the food was delicious but it wasn't the best for my gut but how i kept the gut going how i kept boosting my vitality throughout the walk was every morning i would put a pack a packet of the ag1 into a water bottle and i would shake it up and i would drink it even my dad who's always like here dad here, this is good for you. He's like, no, thanks. And granted, you know, the home he's got, he, you know, he's doing really well um, health-wise. And But he's always like, nope. But with this, with AG1, he was like, okay, give me some. And he would take it. And it's, there is, it's it's amazing when you take something, uh, you know, with routine and you start to see the results. It's like, okay, fine. I found my thing. Especially because it's just One serving that has the most straightforward way and simplest way for you to get your vitamins and your nutrients and your minerals and your prebiotics and probiotics. And honestly, why take a bunch of different things when you can just get um, all of it in, in one scoop of this delicious magic AG1 powder? into a glass of water or into the beautiful uh, water bottle that you get this is how i start my days honey and honestly if you're a traveler they also uh will send you you could also get the ag1 travel packs and they're amazing and and every time i have a friend that comes over to the house i'm always like here take a couple of these and try it out for yourself you know and I want to share an amazing, exclusive, delicious offer with you today. If you want to take ownership of your health, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com backslash sa. So that's drinkag1 number one backslash sa. Um... You got that. And if you don't go to the show notes, it's there. And cheers to your health and your vitality. Hey, my love, listen real quick. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as we love creating it for you. And if you find value in what we're doing and you want to show some appreciation, we have two simple ways for you to contribute. The first one is by buying us a coffee. It's a one-time donation that goes a long way in helping us cover production costs, equipment upgrades, and other podcast-related expenses. Every cup of coffee makes a significant impact in our ability to keep delivering the quality content that you love. The second option is for you to become a monthly supporter by buying us a coffee on a recurring basis. By setting up a monthly donation, you become an integral part of our podcast, sustainability. And we get to continue to create the content you love with confidence, knowing that we have a reliable source of funding coming in. And we love you for that. Listen, head over to the show notes and click the link there, or go to buymeacoffee.com backslash spiritually sassy show. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com backslash spiritually sassy show. And I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have already been buying us a coffee. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your generosity is so wonderful. And we're incredibly grateful for your support. Welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show, here to help you heal and live a bold, authentic, and joyful life. My name is Sadie Simone, and I am your host. Thank you for being here. And listen, if you love the podcast, or maybe it's your first time listening, and something moves inside of you, you feel inspired, you feel excited, rate and review And subscribe to the podcast all these things are really important to keep the momentum of the show alive and well thank you for doing that in advance now let's talk about today's guest Justin Michael Williams he's a dear friend of mine and he's got a new book out that I have been waiting to get him on the show and finally our schedules worked and we're actually able to spend time together You're in for a treat, my darling. Justin Michael Williams is a Grammy-nominated artist, best-selling author, and keynote speaker who is using the power of music and meditation to wake up the world. From growing up with gunshot holes outside of his bedroom window to sharing the stage with Deepak Chopra. His first book, Stay Woke, a Meditation Guide for the Rest of Us, was released nationwide in 2020. And his new book, the one that we're here to talk about today, which I'm so excited, How We Ended Racism. You heard that right. How We Ended Racism that he co-authored with Shelly. Shelly does have a last name, but I will not attempt to say it because I cannot even, I can't. I've tried, and this is not the first time I'm I'm trying to record this introduction, okay? (laughs) So Shelly, forgive me for not saying your last name. All right. Enjoy the episode. What's up, my love? How you doing? Hey, darling. Welcome, Welcome to Lashy. the show.
1: So happy to be here with you. Finally, I you've know. done
0: it. Oh, for real, honey. Oh, my goodness. From the, the dance floor at the yoga barn in Bali, Indonesia, to Los Angeles. I mean, we've been around the block. It's such an honor to have you on the show. And yeah. I want to dive right in because you wrote a book that is fucking insane the title itself is already i'm like excuse me how bold of a title how we ended racism first of all let's even like break down the title the boldness of it and then talk to us about what the book is
1: yeah thank you babe thank you so much for having me to talk about this and it's it's crazy because it's a title that i was actually scared to come out with when shelly and i who's my co-author shelly's a great friend and a white jewish woman and we thought what it was important for two people who seem totally opposite to come together to write this book. Like a white, straight, Gen X Jewish mother from the East Coast, yeah. you know, and a black, queer, millennial man from California <laughs> to talk about what it means to really come to ca- together across divides and to model this. And, you know, to go straight into the title, when we had the idea for the title, How We Ended Racism, it's about the concept of the book, which the concept of the book, I just wanna like make this very clear for folks, is the book is standing in the future, 50 years in the future, as if racism has ended, looking back at now, asking what would we have actually had to do if this is what happened in 50 years? And so the reason why this is a really important stance, right, is So many books, so much work takes this stance of how do we heal racism? How do we fix racism? How do we make it better? But I pose the question to folks, what the fuck is healed racism? What is better racism? What is fixed racism? Even if we got any of that, we wouldn't want it. We don't want better racism, right? We want no racism. And so, you know, Shelley and I wow. took two years doing deep research. It's the whole book is very science-based, actually, but written in a practical way, to ask the question. We didn't come in with the answer. We said, "Can racism end? Is it possible?" And we were shocked to find, shocked, mm. which is why we wrote the book, that across every form of science, sociology, psychology, neuroscience, every form of everything, racism absolutely can end. And so we wanted to share with people what we learned about this process and how we can each step into that.
0: Wow, oh my God. And it's like, I, I never thought about, I mean, some you know I, I've read books that, that talk about, that bring us to this future and we have all these dystopian futures, but you're talking about uh, a benevolent future. You're talking about a future that's uh, unifying and, and us healed as a society, us without the awful, ongoing biases in people's minds of
1: racism. Yeah. It sounds like a, an entire new world. Yeah, but let me, let me be clear, Sa. So like the reason why, Shelly and I both have very personal stories that kind of connect us into this point. And mm-hmm. the reason why people often ask me like, Justin, as a black man living in the United States, how the heck can you be like so hopeful about a topic like this? And that's what I was trying to say, darling.
0: That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah, no, I get it.
1: Say. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and the truth is, people don't obviously know this instantly when they see me, but I'm half black, half white. Uh, my mom's side of the family, I grew up in an Italian Catholic family. And when my mom married my dad, my Italian Catholic family disowned my mom and kicked her out of the house. And even though they didn't consider themselves racist, even though they had black friends, even though they lived in a very diverse community, even though they themselves were not even considered white, like Italians weren't considered white back then, you know, they said their daughter marrying a black man was not okay. And we all have some story, every single one of us, that we can point to in our lives where we realize that there's some form of racism existing in our family or our community, some form of othering, right? And so. When my mom and dad decided to get married, my family disowned her, and they thought that my mom was gonna call off the wedding. She's this 21-year-old girl, they're gonna kick her out, and she followed love. She said, I'm out. Packed her bags, left her home, and went to live with my dad's family, and got married, and no, my dad's grandpa walked my mom down the aisle. No one in her family went to her wedding.
0: Oh no. And
1: I share this story, though, because mm-hmm. of what happened next. So a couple months later, my grandfather, my mom's dad, came back to the family and said, look, this was never what we wanted. We didn't think she was going to do it. So I don't know what we have to do, but we have to figure this out. And what happened next is our family, who was racist, like very clearly, right, came together. And it wasn't this like happily ever after. But it was a thing where my white side of my family and my black side of my family actually got together and had a conversation and said, we don't know how to do this, but we're gonna figure this out because we love our kids. And that family is the family I grew up with. And I grew up in the most loving, compassionate, kind, caring family. And the reason I'm sharing this story is not just like, well, my family did this thing so everyone can do it. It's because of what I learned from that kind of gave me the understanding of what ending racism actually means. So you had said something a second ago that I wanted to pull a thread on that people think that I'm saying or that we're saying in this book that we're not saying. We are not imagining and we don't think it's possible even that all of a sudden we're gonna all wake up with no biases or all of a sudden we're gonna all wake up and just be kumbaya and not see color and whatever the hell everybody always thinks is gonna happen. The way that racism ends is the same way that the racism in my family completely disintegrated. It's that we become an immune system. I use like a a, a metaphor of an immune system. To build a healthy body, you don't just go around fighting sickness. You cultivate health so that when sickness occurs, think about it, we're touching bacteria and viruses all day long. Most all of them are not a problem for us because we have a healthy enough immune system, if you do, that you touch bacteria on a doorknob, Boop! your body takes care of it. It's not an issue. What ending racism looks like is that our cultural immune system has built enough practices, skills, and tools that when biases, othering, racism exists like a virus or like a bacteria, we have the tools to compost it heal it, use it, without it breaking us down. It actually is something that society just knows how to handle. And these are the tools we're trying to teach people in the book. It's not like, here's 10 steps to end racism. That would be crap. It's no, here's who we have to become as people to be strong enough immune cells so that when we experience racism in the world, we know how to end it upon arrival and Mm -hmm. it doesn't break us down. Wow. Does that make sense? Oh, my God. It's fucking genius. And this, you know what comes up
0: to me, too? Do you talk about the history of racism, the the start of racism? Is that part of, is that like a, is it necessary part of like knowing why it started?
1: It's interesting. We go into a very, 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 very brief history of like race in the United States in particular. But one of the things that we talk about in the book is that you can know every reason why the past was the way that it was, and still never change anything about your future. And so we tell people, you don't need to become an expert on race to end racism. Mm. It's like this. But I have a feeling that you know about the start of racism, and I would love to talk about it here with you. So share with me what you know.
0: Well, I'm actually going, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert in it either. I mean, no, no, I experienced no, my own, I experienced my of own course. versions of it. and But the reason why I ask is just to hear you say the exact words that you did. A lot of people are always, a a lot of people are always really leaning into why is this happening? Why, why, why? When did it start? How did it start? And looking at history. Yes, it's informative and it's educational, but it oftentimes perpetuates more intellectualizing and less movement towards less of I and more of we less of me against you and more of how can we come together? You know, Um, yeah. So that's why, because in in Buddhist uh, psychology, it's very much about. Oftentimes, it's very little about why I feel the way I feel, and very much about how do I, you know, let go. How do I transform? How do I get back into my body more fully? How do I get more present? And in my view of 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 you know, my understanding of racism, a lot of it, the way I understand. today it's that it didn't start with us it didn't start with with this the people who are right here right now around this it was their grandparents and uh their father and their grandparents and it's it's a lineage it's unfortunately it's an unbroken lineage of unprocessed racism that leads to these awful experiences that so many people have i actually have a grandfather who was racist too When Mm -hmm. my grandmother married my grandfather, she already had a son who was brown skin, And Mm. his brownness was a trigger for my grandfather. And so much so that he would keep this this kid out of family photos out of the living room out of the kitchen in the bedroom in Look the closet up. so much so that when this kid died when he was 28 years old my uncle orlando of a skin disease when he was 28 oh years old God. you can't you can't make this shit up you can't say no. psychosomatic you can't say that racism is not a disease you can't say that yep. hating people because of their skin color doesn't make people sick it is yeah. sickening it is a disease so i just wanted to yeah. name that into the mix and obviously i get heated up uh, By it because it's, it's something beautiful. that fucking turns me when people don't have a black friend when people don't have queer friends when they're so sh- uh, in their little glass towers of their self development bubbles and thinking that they're getting free like no. freedom does not exist if you haven't checked your racism bitch like literally yeah. like it doesn't it, exist yeah, amen. like amen. It do- there's amen. no liberation yeah. that exists there's no uh capital uh e enlightenment without for the that's the ultimate goal right of the spiritual path without you having processed your your biases and without you having processed your racism and if you don't have deep connection and friendship with people who are very different than you your liberation is very much me mine and i it's a selfish pursuit of feeling good not a liberation for all people anyways i just wanted to drop that in there
1: No, this is so great. I love seeing you fired up about this because I know we both care about this so much, you know? And I know everybody listening does too because that's why they're listening to this. And I think, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure everyone knows, right, is that when we started writing this book, okay, Shelly and I had no idea. I'm going to say that a little differently. When we started asking this question, can racism end? Shelly and I had no idea that the answer we were gonna get to was yes. We honestly were super skeptical. What happened was we were a part of a big fellowship program with the Garrison Institute and the Garrison Institute, the the whole point of the fellowship was they wanted to ask big audacious questions and then support the fellows with like uh, research, resources, all kinds of stuff to be able to answer the question. And so we just asked the question, can it end? Is it possible? you know because we were saying if we get to mars before we figure out how to end racism we are screwed okay we're like totally screwed and <laughs> and I'm and so, fuck man you know like get out of here and so what kept happening is we were shocked every step of the way every study that we did every focus group got every, everything would come across as a yes and so we started running these programs, which we run hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the world through our process before we even put it into a book, because we were still skeptical about it. And it was we were watching racism disintegrate, like from people across divides. And we said, "Wow, Like this is something that's so powerful that it has to be shared with people." And I think, you know, one of the big takeaways that I want to make sure I offer to folks like right here is, if you feel skeptical, That is just fine and absolutely expected. Shelley and I were skeptical when we started and almost all the way through. We have an entire chapter in the book on dealing with our own skepticism. But I want to ask people who are on this journey of growth, if you think about what creates growth and transformation, it's believing in a future that seems impossible, Believing in something that's bigger than your circumstances. If we don't believe in these things, if African American enslaved people with no, nowhere could they see around them an environment where they could be free, if they could imagine being free, then there was a possibility of them getting there. If you cannot imagine the possibility, the future is nothing but a possibility in the present. The future is nothing but a possibility in the present. So if we can't imagine the possibility of this, it will never be. And that was the craziest part of this research to us is from all the science, they said, we actually know everything we need to know to end racism. We have every tool, we have every resource, we have every modality. There are New York Times bestselling books. There are entire universities devoted to this topic. The only thing missing is the willpower and belief of people. Most people have never paused to think, can it end? Can it end? And so if we could just get people to think about that question and begin to imagine a world without racism, not just better than it is, without it, now we're opening up a new doorway that hopefully we can all walk through together.
0: Holy fucking shit. And I have to be honest, I, Okay, here's the here's the vulnerable truth. I, as you're proposing the question to the audience, I'm also, you know, as the host, but I, I, I have a podcast because I love being educated. And yeah, thankfully yeah, yeah. it's become a thing where I get to be educated and educate people and do At it as part time. of my work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I have to be honest, Justin. This is, I'm choking up as I'm thinking about it. I have not thought about a world... Without it. Yeah. You know, I haven't thought about a world without it. Because in Buddhism, we have this view that because we live in samsara, this reality is inherently uh, uh, flawed, that it's a bad, it's poorly designed, you know, by default. And maybe one of the poorly designed uh, aspects of this is racism, is homophobia, is queerphobia. But it it isn't because it's an Mm -hmm. insatiable um it's an it's a, a constant feeling of dissatisfaction. That's what samsaric um, yeah. living is. It's a sense of dissatisfaction. It doesn't have anything to do with um someone's um, color, you know? Okay, so that's great. I just needed to name that. I just needed to name yeah, I mean, out and, and, myself and to the it's to good the mix. Because
1: most, most people haven't, right? Like Most people haven't. And I think the important thing to remember, Saw, and to everybody listening, is let's be very clear about what what we're defining here as racism and what it is and what we mean, right? So we have to go to a larger definition, and we talk about this in the book, of a concept called othering, right? Othering. And othering is part of what science considers the human condition. Humans create in-groups and out-groups. You're in my in-group, you're in my out-group because of whatever things I've defined as what's in for me and what's out for me. So I'm Democrat, you're Republican, I'm liberal, I'm straight, I'm gay, you're this, that, and we create this this othering thing. What's really wild, and this was shocking for us to know, is what we're doing with racism is we have chosen to other and create in groups and out groups based upon a non-biological, completely unrealistic, not like tangible in any way thing that we have defined as a society as race, which is in human history, a new concept. In, In our lifetimes, it doesn't feel like it, but this idea of race is new in humanity. There was a time where there was not racism and I wanna be very clear about this, humans have othered based upon things like religion forever, right? All the way back. They've othered on many other things, money, wealth, social you know, conditions, caste systems. They've, we've othered for a long time. We have not as humanity been othering on this weird thing that has no biological standing called race until just the last few hundred years. And we can't imagine a world beyond it because we're swimming in it. But it used to actually be this way until the concept of race was created for power and control. And this is why race, the whole concept of a race, what's white, what's black, the words we use to describe race, this is why they continue to change and make us extremely confused. Because the whole concept itself is bogus. And so how is it that we have decided to all buy into this concept that actually isn't real in the first place. Like at least socioeconomic standing is real. At least the religion you have decided to devote your life to is real. No one wakes up and says, I'm choosing to be this race because there's no freaking such thing as a race. We just made them up, you know? And so I just wanna give that to people as as a contextual scientific understanding that the whole concept is ridiculous. And the reason why so much of the work we do in quote-unquote anti-racism, now here's where I'm gonna get worked up, Saw. Go, please, I love this. Anti-racism, which is, I think, the worst freaking mistake we made as humanity to push this forward in 2020. Language is important. Language is how we coordinate our reality. Anti-racism is only saying what we're fighting against it's not saying what we're moving toward. And in order to be a lifelong anti-racist, that means that racism has to be fighting you for your whole life. Because you can't be anti something that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so in the language itself, we've created a condition that says, this is gonna exist forever and ever. And in order for me to be a good white person or a good woke person or a good whatever, I have to be committed to fighting this thing for the rest of my life. I don't wanna be fighting racism for the rest of my life. No, you know, so let's instead of just talking about what we're fighting against, let's spend some more time talking about what we're moving toward, what we're creating in its stead. And so this is what I'm interested in and what Shelley's interested in contributing to the conversation. Not that any, well, I'll say it this way, not that the work of dismantling is wrong, of course we need to dismantle. But once it's all been dismantled, we're gonna be left with a big question mark because we haven't put any work into, or not enough, into understanding what is the other reality we're creating together. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to help people do in the Mm -hmm. book. Wow. Holy shit. Wow. Sorry. I just got worked up. Oh my God. Don't be sorry at all. This is the place for it, honey.
0: I get lit in the show all the time. This is literally part of the process here. You know, this is a question that I should be asking your co-author, but I, I'm just going to ask you, maybe you have an answer for it too. Um, Hmm. Has she, does she grow up in a racist um, house? Yeah. What's her reason for wanting to do this? Because, you know, it's, it, does it is it about like performing as a as a as a good white person, um, or is it because she just felt really uncomfortable at home and she was just like mom or dad like what the fuck are you guys doing like eh. so like, Shelly.
1: Yeah, Shelly is one of the most amazing women I've met in my entire life. It was such an honor to write And you
0: meet book. a lot of amazing fucking people. you c- amazing people.
1: Name, so. I cannot name another person who I admire more than her. I cannot. I mean, I really mean it. Um, she is just the most in, in integrity and heartfelt woman I, I know, point by period, I'm honored to be her friend and, and co-author and I'll stop kind of gushing on her and, and answer your question. So Shelly actually um, grew up in a household where she, that was racist in a certain degree, where she was taught to other, a diff- another group of people. She was very much taught like those people are bad we don't not talk to them. They're the reason why we have problems in our lives. No. And Shelly, actually, in her own way, she was like, an, it was like a very fundamentalist type of family. In her own education as a young woman, she came out of it and started to see the bigger picture and ended up being a woman who was fighting for that other people's rights. In, where on one, at, beforehand she was fighting against them. So she experienced this in her own arena of life and had this big awakening when she was a lot younger. And so we just happened to be in the fellowship together. And when I started asking the question, she was like, oh my God, we have very different stories around this and we're coming from opposite ends of the spectrum. But I agree, like I've experienced and watched racism end inside of me. Like I used to hate this group of people. I used to protest for them not existing. And now I'm actually fighting for their liberation. And I watched it disintegrate and I want to look at the science of how this actually happens within people. Mm -hmm. And so this is how we came together to write the book and it's just her story's all inside of the book and it was so phenomenal. But
0: okay, so then here's what I'm hearing. It's she was fighting to end othering in a yep. different context outside of skin color.
1: So, Shelly, because when is I think about
0: racism, I think about white and black, I think about white and brown, I think about like that.
1: That's what I think. Yeah. Am, I, am I on an so ignorant spectrum? So, we have to spectrum? think about it in a slightly broader context. So, racism in the United States and in some other places and 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 throughout the world, obviously, this white, black, dark, light is a part of as a part of the equation. But there's other forms of racism that exists, like anti-Semitism. What we're seeing right now in the Middle East, like this, is all a form of racism and othering, right? And so we have to. We're oh, at that I point, see we're what you're saying. Color. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I understand. I understand. Okay. So the book addresses that. It's a systemic, ancestral unprocessed desire to say, I'm good. You are bad. You are worthy. You are not. I'll pray for you. Hell no. Like that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and, and when we're working on it in the book, what we want people to understand is we're framing it in the context of race very specifically. Right. But what we kind of name in the beginning of the book is what we're really talking about is othering and Othering is, a. it is unfortunately with our feeble little early human brains, a part of our condition. But what we truly believe, and has now been backed by all of our studies, is that othering on the basis of a thing called race is something that we can get rid of. Can we get rid of all othering? Absolutely not, we don't believe that's possible. But othering on the basis of something called race we can get rid of. I'll give you the silliest example. I like to give silly, 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 ridiculous examples. I love how much I'm
0: learning on this. And I I thought I knew this shit from being like brown and queer. I thought I knew. I'm like, damn, girl. Okay. I thought
1: I knew too until I started working on this. I was like, there's so much to know. But I'll give you the most kind of like basic ass ridiculous example because I like to give silly ones so people can go, oh, okay, understand. So remember when, and people might remember this, like, let's say 20 years ago. So I'm a millennial, right? So when I was like young and like an elementary school, people having box braids or even color in their hair, red, blue, purple, was like, oh my God. Like I remember at our school, there was a rule that you were not allowed to come to school with braids or with color in your hair. Like it was not allowed. It was considered uh, not appropriate, right? Fast forward to today. Now, this is again a silly example. Oh, you got all the old ladies with purple hair and blue hair. You got all the kids walking around with color in their hair. You got white people and everybody with box braids. And it's no big deal. Now, we can get into a whole argument. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, take cultural appropriation. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I am talking about is the fact that we've watched in society something where we othered people because of their hairstyle. We have completely shifted our social context to now the fact that it's accepted. I'm not comparing racism to hair color, obviously in its severity, but what, what I am comparing is the way that we other, and this is just true, is the same regardless of what we're othering. We're choosing to say, this is in, that is out. And because that is out, I'm treating it like crap. I'm dehumanizing it. I'm not allowing it. I'm making it not good. I'm not fighting for it. And so what happens is we've watched in our lifetimes things go from other and out to in and acceptable. So I'm just showing people that we can do this. It's not like humans do this every era. We take things and and make them not and then make them okay. And so we as humanity know how to shift our perspective around othering and our invitation to people and hopefully with the process that we give them in this book Um, helps them learn how to start becoming someone who can do that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Is that helpful?
0: That's fucking helpful. You're so helpful. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is so helpful. I'm like, it's so true. And you know what came up for me, too, as you're talking? Um, And again, it's not as obviously as severe as racism, but I'm I'm thinking about, like, tattoos. As I started working in the hospital, I would always, like, try to wear long sleeves and never, you know, one day I wore, like, a... Um, a sleeve that was like a, a, up to my forearm and so much more of my my arm tattoos. And obviously, my hand tattoos I can't hide that. But I always try to keep my sleeves as low as possible, so you can't you could just see my fingers and some of the finger tattoos show. But and I just notice as soon as I come into the into a patients room, and the interaction that I have with older patients. And when they start to see me talk with my hands, and they start to peek the tattoos, it's it's their. Um, I, I notice their body language changes. Some of them feel more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Some of them, when they see the the the, the, the tattoos, it, it's a it's a, a place where they feel like, okay, I can be myself now. Although I may yeah. not even have tattoos, I can take off the armor. You're you're safe. So it opens a door for that. For other people, it immediately like, you know, buttons them up even more, tightens them up. And I think about tattoos, the reason why I'm bringing all this is like, are, you know, the first humans to walk planet Earth, we've like painted our faces, we've tattooed our bodies, we have done all kinds of, we have put symbols all over our bodies as a way to communicate our spirit. We have done that historically through all of human history. And then I have, I have no, we, we've all, you know, I remember looking at people who had tattoos in my early, um, when I was growing up and I was like, oh my God. And, and in my own house too, saying never get tattoos, that's bad. That's that's for prisoners. That's people that, that you do that if you go to prison, like that's a bad thing. Don't do that. And the, all the views that I've had around it and then looking at the tattoos that I have in my body, they're each a symbol of my own, the depth of my liberation. They mark they are there symbols that a lot of people don't even know how to interpret because they're for me, but they are symbols to be interpreted and potentially open people up to contemplating yeah. their lives in, in whatever psycho spiritual way may be or maybe not. Point of what I'm saying is, looking at the history of tattoos, how much it was part of our culture, and how much when you go see indigenous people in any across the planet, anywhere you go, they still tattoo their bodies, they still tattoo their faces. Anywhere you go, it's it's part of our first nation. It's a first nation approach to to doing the human thing is to embellish yeah. the body, is to turn you into. It's just to embellish the body, right? So in looking at the transformation that's had, right, and now seeing how tattoos are everywhere and how everyone yeah. is, is, is part of it and also still seeing how it's still, you know, kind of
1: taboo for some people. Um, I, that's what I was thinking about. But it's shifting. It's shifting. And so I love that you gave that example because I hope everybody listening can think of one thing in their own life that they used to taboo or they used to think was other or they used to think was not for them and they used to kind of judge people who had it and now they've shifted into a place of acceptance and love and openness and we all have something.
0: My loves, let's take a quick break from the episode because I got to share something with you that is delicious, mind-blowing and and kind of really sweet of a surprise for me. Backstory, which probably all of you know um, by now, I have struggled with acne scars um, for as long as I can remember. And I say struggle as in I've always wanted to not have them, you know. And of course, cystic acne is gone, which is wonderful. But the scars are there, and they're deep, and they are—they're—they're um, they're always like, "Good morning, Sa. How are you, darling? Nice to see you again." And I have spent so much money trying to get rid of these scars. I have, you know, literally gotten, I mean, I, it's pointless to mention. I have done pretty much all the things available under the sun to be able to change the, the texture of my skin, to be able to say goodbye to the acne scars for me, for me. Because for you, if you think I don't look cute with my acne scars, uh, it is a reflection of the quality of your mind, okay? Let's just put that into perspective for a second. So anyways, I get sent sent a lot of products all the time. People that want to participate in a podcast, people that want me to talk about their products, and I'm extremely fierce about the brands and the products that I talk about because... I have to be a trustworthy source for my community, my students. And so anyways, I have uh, I have found no, this product found me and I'm so glad it did. It's called One Skin. And the product's necessarily not built for acne scars. It's built for a variety of other different benefits. Uh, which I don't need them right now or I don't think I will need them because I'm fine um, with the way my skin is aging. However, if you're interested in transforming your aging process in a way that is healthier looking or more relaxed looking or whatever it may be for you, the point is I want to share with you this product founded by four female PhD level longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. The product that I'm holding in my hand right now is called One Skin OS One Face. I wash my face and I put this on and I put sunscreen on and that is all. And in one week, honey, I swear to you, it is wild. The, com- the, the complexity now, the texture of my skin is changing so much. I'm like, this can't be true, you know, because I always dream of a product like this. But hey, now it is here, you know. And unlike most skincare products on the market, one skin works deeper than the surface level. And it's designed to promote healthier skin from the inside out. And check this out. In an independent 12-week clinical study, OS1FACE, which is the product that I'm holding in my hand, the product that I'm talking about, demonstrated uh, efficacy by strengthening the skin's barrier and significantly reducing visible signs of aging. In the study, they were able to have these epic results. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. And 95.5% of the people who were in in the study in this clinical trial experienced improved firmness. One skin is for everyone that wants to prevent or reverse the signs of aging with groundbreaking approach. One skin addresses skin health at the molecular level targeting the root cause of aging, so skin behaves, feels, and appears younger. It's time for you to get to experience a new skin health routine. And I'm offering you, as a listener of the podcast, a 15% discount when you use code SAH, my first name, you should know by now, at oneskin.co. That's 15% off at oneskin.co with code S-A-H. And it's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. And the code is capital S-A-H. And enjoy, my darling, because we only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better. Age healthy with one skin. My loves, I don't want to take too much time away from the episode, so just a quick break to give you some delicious information and something that's really exciting me. Listen, we have launched the Somatic Activated Healing Membership and the benefits that the members are sharing with us is so delicious. They're saying it's reduced depression and anxiety, reduced physical pain and sluggishness. I can't even say that word. Increased a sense of resilience, increased joy and inspiration hey we love that improved physical health and energy levels improved mental health and clarity and it's deepened their connection to authenticity and self-expression so all this a dream come true because i've always wanted to be able to have a sacred school meet temple meets dance floor so all of this coming together that's what the somatic activated healing membership is all about it's helping us Take responsibility for what we're carrying and time to say goodbye to the emotional baggage and time to say hello, open heart. Because, you know, the body keeps the score, as we've heard this. The body holds the imprints of our past experiences. And unless you have the tools and the time to process your painful experiences as they happen, it leaves an emotional residue alive in your body, which then turns your body into inflammation, then turns your mind into chaos, therefore closes your heart. Listen, and I've gone through This experience of carrying emotional baggage, a massive heavy load for so much of my life that it was like making my body, I mean, the symptoms were wild, chest pains, cystic acne, gut issues, depression, anxiety, addiction, suicidal ideation, you name it. All of these things were symptoms of unprocessed emotional baggage. So in the Somatic Activated Healing Membership, you have access to a multitude of practices, including... The ultimate mind, body, spiritual workout, which is what you're seeing me in the doing that that looks like a, a a sort of a regular dance practice, but there's an entire mathematical process happening behind, which I can't wait for you to experience it for yourself. In the membership, you also have access to um, guided meditations, master classes, spiritual talks, courses, and live dharma workshops with me once a month. Maybe I forgot to say this, but there is somatic activated healing method practices every single day live with teachers from all over the world, honey. And these are epic teachers who I have certified myself. So I fully trust them to deliver this message, to deliver this method. What we also have in the membership is a community page where you get to engage with other members. And we also have weekly inspirational prompts to get you going. So with the whole thing, this entire you know uh, uh, dance floor meets temple meets sacred school, the combination of all of this together will give you the support to have a robust and foundational spiritual practice that, will, that could literally radically change your life. And you've heard the members, what they're saying, that it's working. So take it from what they're saying, honey. In any case, I love you very much. I hope you keep enjoying the podcast. And... We're giving you a seven-day free trial to the membership. So get in there. The link is in the show notes. And um, I hope I get to see you on the dance floor. Big love to you. Peace.
1: And we all have something, whether it's like your homophobia or what you thought about people of a certain religion or what you thought about people who like some kind of music or whatever it is. And I want everybody to think of something and recognize already that why is it that we're making racism any harder or more difficult than that shift? Why is it that we've allowed ourselves to be convinced? And the other question is who are we allowing to convince us that shifting our perspective around racism is any harder for us as individuals than tattoos, hair color? religion, homophobia, anything else. I'll tell you who it is. The the structures that want to keep racism in place for power and control are part of what convince us that this can never change. So we're just continuing. It's not that we're so liberal and so woke that we're awake to the fact that this is going to exist forever. It's that we are being brainwashed, scientifically proven, into believing that this thing is so hard to change that it will never happen, when it's not, it works the same as any other form of othering. It, we have watched ourselves shift this in many ways in our own lives, and the way we're going to shift racism is by following that same pathway. It's different work, of course, You know, shifting racism than shifting tattoos, but I'm just getting to the basic of othering is really what we're working with here.
0: Can you say more about the systems that are brainwashing us into
1: believing it can't end?
0: Can you say more about yeah.
1: that? Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll be honest with you. I don't have a lot to say about those systems, and the reason is because I that's just not what my work is, right? Like my work is helping people believe in what more is possible. However, what I will say about this system is we can pontificate and uh, theorize and whatever we want to do about who these people are and what their intentions are and where they are in the government and where they are in the world and what's happening. And we can go to the end of time to try to get to the bottom of it. Even if we got to the bottom of it, we would still have to liberate ourselves from its control, even if we knew. And so what I invite people into is to not waste so much time trying to get to the bottom of it because we don't have to get to the bottom of it, we have to get to the bottom of ourselves. We have to understand and look at where we are allowing these systems to exist and perpetuate in our own lives and our own selves. These systems have no control, regardless of what these forces are, if we don't choose to keep perpetuating them as individuals. And so an example that I, that I like to give, I'm hesitant to say this because this is sometimes triggering for folks. Um, we like triggering. We okay. love to be triggered. Go. So it's a little bit forgiveness. I mean, a little bit forgiveness, a little bit triggering um, because we talk about, we have a whole section in our book on shadow work, a whole section on collective shadow. And we talk about the concept of supremacy. Okay. Now I want people who are new to me to just trust me here and take a deep breath, okay? Because people get mad at me when I talk about this, but it's why we kind of save it for the middle of the book because they kind of trust me by then and know <laughs> that I'm not afraid of it. But I'm gonna give it to y'all here. I'm gonna give it to y'all here because I know Saw don't play with y'all. Mm-mm. So supremacy, right? I'm pulling, I'm actually opening it up, uh, opening up to that, that chapter in the book so I can uh, tell it to you in the way that's really important. So we often think of the word supremacy And the first thing we think of usually is white supremacy,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Which is what, in in the context of racism in the United States, like this is what we're trying to fight, white supremacy. But what I invite people to think of is this exact thing that we're trying to fight, that what we need to fight is not white supremacy, it is supremacy itself we all have a relationship to supremacy, and regardless of what color our skin is. And so the word supreme, which is what supremacy comes from, means situated above or highest, right? Situated above or highest. And for something to be supreme, you have to consider it the best. And so with white supremacy, obviously what's happening is we're saying whiteness is the standard, because it is supreme, everything compares to it it, because according to white supremacy, it's the best, regardless of what's actually true. And so when you think about things like this, I'll give people an example to really break this down. When you tell somebody that hairstyle's inappropriate, there's a standard that you're measuring the hairstyle up against. And so you have to ask yourself, well, inappropriate compared to what? Compared to what? Or that outfit that you're wearing is not professional. Okay, so there's a standard of what professional means, and professional compared to what? So in Western culture, that compared to what is often a white supremacy standard, right? So like business, professional, casual, is like European business casual. But if you go to Mexican culture, Indian culture, and they're dressing up for something important for their lives, they don't wear business suits. You see colorful saris and dresses and hats, hairstyles that are very different, appropriate compared to different things. So I'm sharing this because that compared to what is the first thing we have to ask to give ourselves a standard. Now, in each of these contexts, the standard is what we're considering supreme. So I invite all of us to ask ourselves, what do we consider supreme? Where are we perpetuating the idea of supremacy ourselves against other groups in our own lives? One that I see a lot, okay? Indigenous supremacy, right? We have this fallacy of indigenous cultures that like, we just have this, it's the same purist mentality that white supremacists use that says, we just got to get back to like things were because back then everything was perfect and everybody knew exactly what to do and this is the way that it was. And so, you know, if we all just followed all the indigenous ways, everything would be perfect, but we're ignoring the thousands upon thousands of years of war and genocide and things that happened between indigenous cultures. It wasn't just all prayers and Palo Santo, right? It was way more than that. And so I'm saying this because that same purist mentality we, that we're fighting against, we end up doing ourselves. We have liberal supremacy, spiritual supremacy, gay supremacy, feeling like we're better or more whatever than these people. And so we have to look at this, because if we can't look at this, then we're just perpetuating the same problems again and again and again and again and again, and and we're playing inside of the racist sandbox. So I say this not to trigger people, but to help us see that these concepts only live and exist inside of us. So I ask people to just look. What do you consider supreme? And don't say nothing. We all do. Right? We all do. Something. And... Um, and then, how can we dismantle that and not place ourselves above or below anyone else? And that's a first step to work doing this work.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, I think we, I think we just do this all day long. All know? day, all day long to actually have what in Buddhist psychology we call equanimity, like a, a mind that that has that is never shaken by external stimulation. You know, like yeah. a mind that's always able to process. It's observe without evaluation. That's the quality. Yeah, that's the yeah, what we're yeah. looking for. Observation without evaluation, and the evaluation because of our own process trauma, because of our own process racism, because of our own process abuse and abuser that has come that that's has been living in our lineage. We're constantly we observe and we immediately evaluate, and our evaluation system is all based on worthy and not supreme yes. and not. It's just a. Yeah. Constant. Look at yourself when you're going to supermarket, and just the people around you. And let's take a supermarket mm-hmm. like Air One. You know, a oh, bougie, a bougie yeah. for for people who are outside of the California or the 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 sort of United States. Air One just opened a supermarket in New York, so I, I can't say it's just California now. But just when you go into Air One, and how much it's become like a celebrity sighting for people, and how much yeah, the celebrity ce-
1: supermarket. Yeah, yeah, celebrity
0: supermarket, and it's like this is where you. Buy by your, you know the all the all the TikToks, all this, all the social media memes are out there talking about this. And what happens inside of people's bodies when they enter a place like that, or when they go anywhere that has uh, supreme uh, this idea of people who are supreme, this idea that the people who are better, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We're yeah. constantly in this like good bad. Uh, I want to be you. Oh, I don't want to be close to you. Uh, And and I I think it's, um, I understand what you're, I I get what you're doing with the book so
1: deeply. It's so profound. Thank you. And this is what, you know, we hope in the shadow section, that's just one of the eight pillars in the the book. And like what we do throughout the book to make it clear for folks is we present from what we learned in all of our research and all of our focus groups that was independently studied, we got a whole thing happening on it that you can read about, is we present what we call the eight pillars of possibility. And what these pillars are, are they the eight pillars that are tools and skills that we as human beings have to learn or that humanity needs to learn for the possibility of racism ending to even begin, to even exist. And these are, you know, our pillars, our science-based pillars that we're so excited about because they're not the only pillars, right? But these are the eight pillars that Shelley and I have been able to identify that really get us to start moving past the starting line. It's like, if we can start to work these things, which we know we can, because they're all very workable and proven, that now I can become a person. It's like, I don't have to wait for the country to catch up with me. I don't have to wait for a political party to catch up with me. I become a person, a healthy immune cell, that when racism arrives in my presence, in front of me, I end it. I know how to metabolize it, compost it, shift it, transform it into something that actually doesn't break this immune system down, but that makes it stronger. Just like when our bodies are fighting off viruses or infections, they get stronger, right? And more resilient, not broken down. And so this is you know the work that we hope to do with people in this book. Um, we did the audio book as well. And so you have me and Shelly reading the audiobook, which is really fun. And um, so I know you did your audiobook, so you know how that is. <laughs> it's a, it's a bitch. Thing. It's a it's fucking a whole bitch. Whole
0: but you read good it. Good. You you and and Shelly read it. Oh, yeah. Wow. We
1: both read it. Yeah, we both read it. So we we it's it's a it's a gift to be able to offer this to the world, and um, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk about it this way with you.
0: I'm so grateful too, and I just want to name one thing when we talked about earlier about the structures. That are keeping racism alive. Um, if you look a little bit into, uh, there's many documentaries for people to get educated in how the are these systems that we don't need to name uh, that will become very evident to you, as you. Start to do any research, the systems that behind the the punitive justice system, the industrial prison complex, the systems around uh, f- where, s- which neighborhoods get uh, a supermarket, which neighborhoods don't, which neighborhoods have a hospital, which ones don't, wh- how far, w- wh- which neighborhoods get at school and the quality of the school and how much funding in school gets. Like, it's all of it becomes very evident as soon as you start to, to look and you know from from my work in in with the unhoused community here in Venice Beach you really get to see the, yeah. um, the the discrepancy and and how much people just want what they don't what they don't like what they unconsciously is unprocessing them and and moves them to not like poverty blackness queerness brownness and they just want out of sight and I'm just it, I watch people, let out the the worst, the ugliest sides of them when I yeah. when in front of poverty, in front of uh, black and brown and queer
1: poverty. It's really, really yeah. insane to me. It is. And it breaks it my is.
0: heart. It really breaks my heart to see.
1: Yeah. No, I, I see that, you know, living in LA here with you as well. I mean, I I see it all the time and it is heartbreaking, like walking. You know, I I will instantly kind of know where somebody can stand in my life as I walk by somebody who's unhoused and if I'm walking with a friend or a new person in my life and they say something that's like just a terrible remark, I'm just like, oh man. But, you know, try to look at it as an opportunity to educate, you know, Um, and do my best to do that. And, you know, I want to say saw what's really important for people to understand. um, And I want to be clear that like, I'm not delusional about the idea that there are systems. You know, we talk about this in the book but what I am very clear about is the only thing to change those systems are people. Yeah, 100. That's it. So when people go, well, don't you focus on the systems? I'm like, yeah, but the only thing that changes the systems are individual people who are in charge of the systems. And so this is why the work that we're doing has to be work on the individual people. That's right. And teaching people the skills because people are the ones who are enacting, keeping, perpetuating, and creating these systems. And if we don't, and we can watch this again and again all throughout history in every country in the world, if we don't work on our own shadow, on our own supremacy, on our own anti whateverness that we have, then when we're in charge of the system, we just end up othering someone else that looks different than us. That's all we end up doing, creating the same system in a different name with another person or another group getting oppressed. And so this is why the work that we are hoping to present to folks in this book, or that we are presenting to folks in this book, is what we hope will change our hearts in not just a kind of airy-fairy way, but in like a very practical way of how we can now show up differently wherever we are. So that we can each kind of tend to, this is the Buddhist proverb, tend to the area of the garden that you can reach. And so we're each tending to our gardens. And that is when we start to actually see the shift in the world that we all want to see. Say it, honey.
0: Oh my God. I'm so inspired by you. I'm so inspired by this book. Wow. How We Ended Racism, available everywhere. Go get the book. Support this mission. And... It's not even a question, oh, should I get this book? Should I not? it's it's a must. It's one of those it's one of those books that it's required reading um, for those listening to this
1: podcast. So go can do I it. tell you something that Please. like can I tell you something that? So Shelly and I finished writing the book. We actually rewrote the whole thing. We pushed the deadline back. the book was originally going to come out february twenty twenty three. We pushed it to October, 2023, because we wanted to rewrite it. We, had, we knew we had to get it right. You can't write a book called How We Ended Racism and not get it right, right? And, <laughs> and so That's when right. we finished the second draft, um, we sent it to who we felt was, if we didn't get this stamp of approval, we knew that we were in for trouble and gonna need to write a third draft. And we sent it to Martin Luther King Jr.'s family and we had a direct connection in to the King family and um, we both were so humbled and honored um, when they wrote back to us and Martin Luther King III ended up endorsing the cover of our book and his wife Andrea Waters King wrote the foreword for the book and they said we believe in this so much it's the first book on social justice that they, the King family has ever endorsed um, outside of the King, King's work. And um, you know, Andrea wrote this beautiful foreword for the book, and she's a force of nature and a leader in her own right and their daughter as well. And Martin, when he said this, I called my mom and we just cried. He said, this book continues the legacy of my father. And that's what's on the cover of the book. And so when we got that, I said, I don't care what anybody says about the book. I don't care. If what Martin Luther King's family is saying, this book is, is doing something positive in the world, that is the last form of validation that I will ever need. So I hope people enjoy it. But even if you don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just got full body chills as you
1: read this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. And I was shocked to see those words. Shocked. And uh, and grateful that I get to be used to continue and and continue carrying the torch, you know, on such a great legacy. So anyway, thank you for having this conversation with me, so don't you anyway that honey. That is <laughs>
0: huge. Oh my god. It's like literally oh my god. It doesn't get it like literally looking historically in American history, of course, it doesn't get bigger to be able to have that. So good job. Good job. Thank I've you. always known you're a, you're a legend, bitch. So to me, it's, <laughs> yeah. it like it's on brand, you know. So right, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you for your generosity of your spirit <laughs> and for writing this book, putting yourself through this. The, how hard it is to write a, a book, period. But also writing a book that of this depth and this. Yeah. Uh, it's you know what I said earlier. It's crucial reading. It's a vital reading. The spiritually sassy path can be walked without. You ending racism, and thank you for for uh, showing my showing me my mind that unfortunately the possibility that racism has ended wasn't something that I had partnered with. It wasn't a marriage that had already happened. You know, it wasn't a subscription that I already had uh, uh, participated in. So thank you yeah. for calling that forth, and I will add this to my daily prayers. Um, oh, as an you, embodied vision that has already happened, uh, so thank you for that. Thank you, thank you.
1: Thank that's you. the only way it'll happen. I'm so grateful for you, Saw. Thank you, and thanks everyone for listening. I hope you feel inspired and excited to end racism
0: and to live in the world of racism has ended, and obviously to support you on that mission, go get his book, go get their book, him and Shelly's uh, book, because that's gonna be the your 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 uh, map to ending racism. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you love the show and the show is moving you and inspiring you and educating you and doing all the things, leave us a review, subscribe, and rate. And if you do leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, you can take a screenshot of your review and or your rating and email it to operations at sadisimone.com. Again, that's operations at S-A-H D S I M O N E dot com with the subject line podcast review and you will get my guide to help you end imposter syndrome. So you can get you can get their book to help end racism and you can get my guide to help you end imposter syndrome. All things that we can be free of, right? That will make our lives way better if they did not exist. So do that. And yeah, I love you. Thank you. Peace. Okay. I'm calling on all the home bar enthusiasts right now. Are you ready to create a new kind of bar experience? One that's sober and filled with magic. Let's create a bar that goes beyond the ordinary, honey. And let's infuse it with the spirit of adventure, wellness, and connection. And listen, with that in mind, I need to share with you Anima Mundi's Apothecary and their wonderful brand new elixir collection. When I saw that, I was like, honey, we got to share this with the community immediately. Even if you're not interested in becoming fully sober, you're sober curious, you just want to, you know, kind of, try something different that's still going to make you feel good and sassy and delicious and be like, "Ooh, I like this." Then this is for you. One of their elixirs that I adore is the Euphoria. It's composed of organic, wild-crafted and ethically grown botanicals. It's like a a potion for joy. And trust me when I tell you this, honey, for those of us who are on a sober journey, or if you are in a sober curious journey, you're going to drink this, honey, and are going to be like, ooh, girl, what's in this shit? But hey, honey, it's just a bunch of amazing, organically grown botanicals mixed together to... Give you that, ooh, I like this feeling. You know what I mean? And they have this Elixir Kit Barista Series. It is gorgeous. Iconic, legendary. Buy it for your house or also buy it for a friend. That got to be a sweet friend, honey, because that that's going to require your, a little bit of, more of an investment. You could also just get... Each of the elixirs by themselves, right? And it's an invitation for you to become a spiritual mocktail barista in the comfort of your own home. You know, trust me, you're gonna love it. Your body is definitely gonna love it. Your mind will thank you, and your soul will be like, okay, honey, okay, lit. Listen, and I guarantee you that people that try these elixirs are going to be like, oh, what's going on, honey, over here? I mean, you got to find a recipe that works, but this is the base of it. It's delicious, amazing, and it's going to get you lit. Are you ready to unlock the magic of this elixir collection, honey? Head over to AnimaMundiHerbs.com. I'm going to try to spell that for you. A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I-Herbals.com. Herbals is spelled H E R B A ls.com Or instead of you listening to spell this, you know, trying to pass the spelling be over here, go to the link in the show notes. And listen, don't forget to use code capital S A H number one and number five, SA 15, check out for an exclusive 15% off your order. Okay. Bless, bless all this beautiful, sober, spiritual bar experiences that you're about to create. Love you.